G'day everyone, welcome to another Tune Under podcast, Southern Hemisphere's biggest, best podcast, all things Newcastle United. I'm joined tonight by Jack. Jack, how are you, mate? I'm very good. I'm happy. I haven't been on social media for a week or so, so I'm feeling pretty positive. It's honestly, it's actually, it's it's amazing how, I, I've just removed the app off my phone and it's amazing how much doom scrolling you do when it's there. No, you just no. sort of go on it. <laughs> And yeah. obviously, the way things have been with NUFC Twitter lately, I just thought I'll have a little bit of a break from it. And yeah, yeah, it's a bit, it's a bit sad in a way to be having a break because I remember when I first joined Twitter, I was so excited. I think I tweeted Mike Lone some abuse. This was the first thing I did on it <laughs> uh, back in the day. But I remember, I even remember where I was. I was, I was on them um, for those um, Geordies. I was on Two Ball Lonnen, which is a road, a road in Fenham. Um, and I was, I was at work. I used to have a job where I drove around Newcastle. And I was like, oh, this Twitter thing, I've heard about that. So I downloaded it. And I was amazed you could like you could direct message um, <laughs> celebrities straight away. So it's been a good run on it. I've really enjoyed it. But it's just become a shit lately, to be honest. So and it was causing me irritation every time I went on it. So I'm, um, I'm feeling much happier now that I'm off it. Yeah, good. So that's a great segue, mate. So today or tonight, um, like you said, it's been... A bit doom and gloom, I guess, the last three weeks haven't gone exactly how most fans would have hoped, I guess. And there does seem to be a bit of a, a dark cloud maybe that's hovering over the northeast of England at the moment. So what we're going to do tonight, we're here to blow that cloud away and we're going to bring positive vibes and, and good energies about all things Newcastle United. So we've put our heads together, Jack. We've come up with a list of and things to be positive about about Newcastle United at the moment. So, like you said, it's easy to get bogged down into the shit, but tonight we're going to lift everyone up and we're going to make everyone feel good about things and things are never as bad as what they seem. So, without further ado, mate, let's get stuck into it. The first yeah. thing we want to talk about is the fixture. So, you can have the new ball, mate, and open the bowling. Yeah, all right. I think, I mean, the first thing to say about all of this is that it was expected. It's expected that we're going to go through bad patches because football's hard. Elite football level is hard. <laughs> I've uh, We've been on loads of podcasts where we've sat here and said, expectation management is going to be difficult next season. We're going to ha- we're not going to win every game. You know, Teams are going to know what we're about more. We're going to have other competitions. So we knew that this was going to happen. So the, with the fixture list that we had, which was statistically the hardest start in the Premier League, this season, it was quite obvious. We had two really hard away games and we had two pretty hard home games as well. So all of the teams we've played finished in the top seven last season. This point has been made a lot of times um, you know, by people who are kind of defending the start to the season. But City and Brighton away are two of the hardest games in the league. We never, ever do well at those grounds anyway. Um, we, we're only one point worse off than, than we were in the corresponding games last season. Um, and we've got these hard games out of the way, which I think is a really important point for later in the season. It's fine margins, really fine margins. We missed good chances against Liverpool um, and we missed good chances against Brighton as well at the beginning, mm-hmm. which would have been a completely different game. And City, we kind of defended well, even though we didn't have much going forward. Uh, they still had to adapt their tactics at home for, for what we were doing, which is very unusual for Man City to do that. So I think we just you can't sort of look at three defeats without saying who, who were they against, you know? Um, and before that, we'd absolutely smashed Aston Villa, who were one of our main competitors this season. So 
And just in, in terms of a little stat, in 2002-2003, so that's after we finished fourth the season before when we are in the Champions League, we only took four points from the opening five games that season and we ended up finishing third. So, you know, difficult runs of right. form are, are a normal part of football. There's, there's no sh- shame. There's no shame in losing to, to who we lost to. And we've now got six games against mid, mid to lower league teams before we, we play Arsenal in November. So I think, yeah, you can't look at this without acknowledging we've had a really hard start. Um, so it's three defeats in a row, but there's reasons there's reasons around that and it's fi- very fine margins. Yeah, so the, for those of you playing at home who don't have access to a fixture list handy, we've got Brentford, Sheffield United, Burnley, West Ham, Palace and Wolves in our next six league games. So... Um, they're all entirely winnable games. If we lose, it's not the end of the world. It's fine. Like Teams are allowed to lose games and, and stuff like that. Don't stress. So that's the first thing out of the way. We've had a tough run, but it looks like like the podcast, the clouds are starting to break up and we can see a bit of bit of sunshine ahead. All right, so we'll go off the second thing, and this is a, a massive thing to be positive about. What is it? Two, two and a bit weeks? We've got Champions League back mm-hmm. again. Our first game at the San Siro against AC Milan. There's probably going to be 200,000 Geordies that fly over for the game. <laughs> Only 3,000 of them will probably get a ticket, but that's a ma- it's a massive thing. It's going to be a huge occasion, and I think the only thing that's going to be bigger than that first Champions League game is the first Champions League home game. So that if you can't get excited and, and positive and up and about about that, I can't help you anymore. I'm sorry. So, you know, we... we- we worked Massive. so we worked so hard last season for this moment to be in the Champions League. So let's not just waste it by being worried about form when we're going to the Champions League. Like this is what oh. all of that stress, all of that fight, all of that success, and those amazing wins and all those goals last season. That's what it was all towards, working towards. So let's all just enjoy it. Photos. Yeah, yeah. It's it, it is a novel. It is a novelty this season, and some people might say, "Oh, that's a small club mentality," but. It is, you know, it's the first time we've been in it for 20 years and we've got three yeah, of mass, course it's massive exciting. Yeah. So it's exciting. It is it is a novelty. We're not just there to make up the numbers. We're second favourites to go through the group as well. But let's actually enjoy it. Enjoy the journey as well as the destination because otherwise what's the point? <laughs> yeah, like there's six games. You could do a documentary on every one of these games. Every, the, every game is going to be a big event. Whether it's at home or away, it's going to be huge. Like, the storylines that are sort of intertwined between the whole lot are massive, like AC Milan with Tonali going back to the San Siro. That's such a a big stadium in, in Europe and AC Milan are a massive team worldwide. And then you've got Dortmund with the wall and sort of war flags, a bit of a, a flag off, if you will, like the atmosphere for both them games is going to be absolutely massive. And then you've got like an absolute global powerhouse in in. PSG, like if you, it's just going to be huge. And every depart, like regardless of the result, every game is going to be unreal. There's going to be so many stories that will live through generations. Like we, we can still talk about what happened in our last Champions League um, experience. Like it was yesterday. Like we lost our first three league games and ended up yeah. winning our next three and going through. And I remember like it was yesterday, and it was 20 years ago. Like imagine. <laughs> what the club is now and what they want to be in the future. And everyone's going to talk about these, these six games, regardless yeah, you, of how they go. It's just, it's so exciting. 
you say the name Andy Griffin to fans of our age, yeah. and it, you just think of one thing, don't they? It's the yeah. goal against Juventus. Yeah. And who who's it going to be this time? It's it's probably going to be someone you know. It's going to be Sean. Yeah, well, the cells of Dan Byrne yeah, might get a goal, yeah. you know, and they'll they'll write themselves into folklore. So yeah, that's that's what's going to happen. So it's just yeah, going to be massive about Yeah, uh, you can have the next one, mate. What do we, uh, Eddie? Yeah, I'll talk about that... I'll talk about Eddie Howe a little bit because fair enough, he's he's had a bit of criticism. Some of his substitutions, he's had a couple um, of clips, you might say. Yeah, yeah, some of the some of the decisions he's made have been questioned. I think. It's a big, big learning curve for him this season, um, and I, but I don't think that's a bad thing. I think you learn you learn a lot more from from challenges, from adversity, than you do from just winning every week. And um, he'll be learning all about his squad in this tough run. It's it's kind of different match situations as well, which he might not have come across before. Sort of where we're kind of a big club now, so that the onus is on us. Like what happened against Liverpool is going to be scarred into everyone's heart forever probably because it was absolutely devastating and to be honest he was taught a bit of a lesson that day by Klopp and in, in sort of tactics and how to manage a game like that and it's also how to manage such a big squad where he's got talent you know on the bench he hasn't had that before with mm. us really it's been a, a week so it's, it, the team's kind of picked itself for him uh, in some ways yeah yeah um so I think it's a good thing that he's having these tough experiences now because he's going to learn from them. You know that he's going to learn from them. He's going to be sitting there for these two weeks. Him and him and Jason Tindall are going to be bunkered away somewhere oh. watching, pouring over clips of these games, yeah. <laughs> thinking, what could we do? Where are we going to position the players next time? And which substitutions yeah. am I going to make where, you know? Um, yeah. I feel I feel sorry for his coaching staff if they've got families over these <laughs> next two weeks because they'll be, they'll be in some, like you said, some underground bunker and just it's a lock-in. We're not leaving here until this is sorted. That's it. And the, yeah, he's going to be watching those last ten minutes of that Liverpool game. And if if fans think that they're sort of burnished on our brains forever, how do, how do you think Eddie's going to feel about it? He he's oh. still he's still having nightmares about the games against Liverpool last season. So yeah, but something I think which is often missed with him is he, he, at Bournemouth the, the adversity he was in at that club. There's an amazing documentary called, I can't remember what it's called now. It's got numbers in the, the title, but it's about what him and Tyndall did at Bournemouth, where they saved you know, them we, from... Where is it available? Can you remember where it's you on YouTube. It's on YouTube. YouTube, yeah. all right. Yeah. Type in... I think it's called minus 17 or something, because that was what how many points oh, they had. Oh, that was their point deduction, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's absolutely brilliant, but it just shows you sort of the character and the resilience of the man. Um, yeah. And he's... He's got a lot of credit in the bank for what he did last season. And some, some fans will say, oh, it doesn't count for anything now. Fucking does count for everything. He's got a top in the Champions League. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. His, his sort of balanced, and you know, every time he does a press conference, he's, he's analytical, he's balanced. He doesn't get too high when we win. He doesn't get too down when we lose. His attention to detail is what, what is needed, I think, to get us through this rough period. And he did this last season around the cup time where we lost to we lost Liverpool, lost in the cup, and then lost to Man City. We lost three games in a row to good teams. And then that happened last season. Then we came back from that. And I'm sure we're going to do the same thing again. And he's a he's a fantastic manager. Um, and he's going to come out of this season probably a much better manager than what he did when he went into it. And that's going to stand yeah. as in good stead for the future. All right. Yeah, absolutely. So if if hopefully... No one's turned off this video and 
typed in minus seventeen. If you're still with us, <laughs> watch watch minus seventeen after you've after you've watched our one. But um, it actually reminds me of a good motto that I've that I've seen, and lots of people probably hear it. This. There's no such thing as a loss. It's you win or you learn. And I think that over the last three weeks especially, he's learned a lot and he's going to be a lot better manager from what you said, going through these hiccups against really good teams with really good managers as well and, and stuff like that. Like, I, I wouldn't be surprised. Mad Dog seems like the type of guy. You know them little um, teeth that you can wind up and they just yeah. – I, I reckon he might have just got one of them and – Put him on his desk just to even just light the fuse under him and just <laughs> like a clop set of teeth just chattering away at him. So just to really sharpen his focus over the next the next couple of weeks while we haven't got any games on. Um, uh, the next point we want to talk about, well, I'll I'll talk about this is first of all the form of Anthony Gordon. He, he said himself, we he come with high hopes at the back end of January last year with a reported. 40 million pound price tag as well. And I think it was fair to say that he didn't really set the world on fire that sort of back end of the season as well. And it since we didn't probably we I, I think we all thought it, Jack, but we didn't really talk about it was how hard it is coming from a really poor club in Everton to mm-hmm. a team like we were at the time. We were high octane, we were high intensity and all that, which really suits the way he plays. He just physically wasn't capable of getting to them levels when he come to us. And he since admitted that. I'm pretty sure was it straight after the Chelsea game, I think he admitted that as well, that he um that he wasn't quite there and he, he wasn't where he needed to be to perform in the team. And he got that goal against Chelsea and it just it kind of seems like that was the sort of leg up he needed. He went and went to the under twenty three Euros, was a player of the tournament well when England won that tournament and then he's come back to us at the start of the year, he's probably been our best player over the first four games as well. So mm. he, that's a, that's a massive reason to be positive. And I think we forget he's, this guy's only a young kid. Like mm. in he's performing probably to his contract at the moment, if not just over the, what we paid for him. And he's, he's scope for improvements massive. So yeah. He's, he's something to really get excited about as well. Um, he, he was outstanding and, against Liverpool in that Liverpool oh, game. Was, I feel sorry yeah. for him because he was so good, but that's going to be yeah. forgotten because of what happened. But yeah, yeah, he was absolutely electric in that game. And even that first were, game against Aston Villa, he was yeah. he was causing were, problems everywhere. There were flashes. There were flashes from him last season, and he was he was doing some good defensive work. But like you said, he admitted he wasn't fit. He'd been coached by Frank Lampard for a while, so. He just he needed the summer to get up to speed, yeah. and luckily he's done that. And he seems like a good character as well. Like he seems like a a grounded character, and he only sleeps with one pillow as well, which I'm very pleased about because I sleep with Ooh. one pillow too. Yeah, okay. Well, we can't all be one pillow bandits. Some of us like a bit of comfort <laughs> around our neck and, and head and things like that. But um, yeah, so he, he's he's definitely something to be positive about this year. And the second one is um, we'll talk about Sandro Tonali. His first game was. Absolutely incredible for a bloke who's never played in the Premier League before. And for some reason or another, Jack, and I'm not sure if anyone's cracked this code yet, but Italian players in the Premier League just don't seem to work for one reason or another. I've got no idea why or what it is because there's been some absolutely fantastic players who have played at Italy at a really high level for a really long time. And they've come to the Premier League and they just can't get to that level for one reason or another. So the fact that he's come in... Um, seems to be settled in really well with his beautiful wife and um, 
I just had to get the beautiful part. In there. <laughs> <laughs> That's another positive. Yeah. We might have to change this to eleven, but um, <laughs> the way he's adapted to the Premier League as well, and I know there has been maybe a couple of teething issues with him and Bruno, particularly in the midfield. But when you sort of look at how Italian players have generally come to the Premier League and performed, I think they've got a real winner here as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's. It, like you said, the, the balance isn't quite right there in the midfield. And it's it's interesting that sort of Longstaff has not been present for all of our, or hasn't started all of our worst defeats over the last mm. year or so. And um, so he's obviously not anywhere near as good as Tonali or Bruno, but it just shows you like it's going to take time for that midfield balance to yeah. kind of sort itself out, and which it will because it, it's packed full of quality players. So, and Tonali is definitely, against Villa, yeah. is absolutely, Amazing. So he's got class oozing out of him. You'll just take a yeah. bit of time to, uh, you know, yeah, he's adapt amazing. To the system. Yeah. So it's not it's not so much of a Sandro Tonali problem. It's more of an Eddie Howe problem to figure out how mm. all this is going to work. But I think he's definitely and same again. He's in that age bracket where he's still going to have hopefully ten really really good years with us and continue with us on our trajectory forward. Um, you can have number five, Jack. The depth. Yeah, so the squad depth uh, is something that we've been talking about probably as we were making signings through the summer. And then you just have to look at the bench for the games that we've had. It's really good. The squad depth is really, really good. Um, there's there's three of the new signings that haven't even started a game yet because the team's been quite consistent. Um, but there's options on the bench to change every game. And people complain about the subs that we've made, but nobody was complaining after the Aston Villa game where Barnes and Wilson yeah. came on. <laughs> it was a where, positive. It was great. Yeah. And Barnes scored one, these two on. scored one, set up one, should have had another yeah. assist. So, And even against Liverpool, Barnes should have really passed it to Wilson when he was when they were through mm. on goal. And that would have been another masterstroke. So it just shows you those, those fine margins. But... Yeah, like you've got you've got Lewis Hall who was called up to the England squad to play to train with them, so he's going to be coming into the into the team soon, I would think. Livermento, um, if he can, you know, get a few games if Trippier gets a rest, so they're gonna these players are going to be starting. Wilson's probably due a start. Anderson had an amazing preseason; he's he's due a start. Longstaff's coming back, so yeah, the depth all over the 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 team and the squad is excellent. And another point on that is that we've got players at the moment who were who were fantastic last season who were really underperforming this season or over the last three games have not been performing at their usual levels so that's kind of Pope Trippier as well hasn't been as good and mm. um, Cher hasn't been as good and he doesn't look as good without Botman in there Bruno has copped a bit you know he but he hasn't been as good as what he what he was last season and uh, Joe Linton and Isak as well apart from the Villa game yeah, you I, was know, gonna, they, yeah I was gonna say the Slim Reapers had a, had a quiet yeah he's well. been quiet so like they've all been fairly underwhelming compared to last season but that that's a good thing in a way because you, you know they're going to get better you know and, and when they mm. do like we're We've been losing narrowly, apart from Brighton, but we've been losing games narrowly, and those players have not really been firing. So when they do and when they get the confidence back, um, there was a goal against Villa, which was, I think it was Wilson's goal. The passing play in the middle of the pitch was absolutely outstanding. Yeah, it and was it was well, kind of it was kind of like look overlooked a bit, probably because we scored so many goals. But I've never actually seen us score a goal with that intricate, um, amazing passing oh, no, in the middle no. of the park. We're used to copying them once. Yeah, so 
like that that was the team playing with confidence when we were already winning and we had a few goals. So when when these players, even if a couple of them start finding some form again, which they will, like I said, they're brilliant players, uh, the whole team's going to improve and it's going to be a lot easier to do that against weaker teams with who we've got coming up. Yeah, and and just on that as well, like I know, especially probably the first five or six games, or probably the first five games, you don't really, I guess, use your depth as much because it's a week between games. You get a full week of training, recovery, all that sort of stuff. But we're really going to see the value of it probably in the next two months when there's cup games and, and Champions League games and stuff like that. And I'm I'm pretty sure most of us would feel pretty confident if any of the, the 11 that started against, say, Brighton had to get replaced at some stage, whether it's rest, injury and stuff like that. And, like, you just quickly go through them, like Dubravka and Pope, you know, mm-hmm. I know Pope's a little bit better, but the drop down to Dubravka's not not massive. And then maybe um, if, if Trippier misses, he's obviously going to be a big loss as well. But Livermento's no mug. Like, he's yeah. a really good player. Um, the only question mark, I guess, is probably with Lascelles at centre back yeah. and if Byrne had to play there as well. But I mean, there was guys, there was plenty of people on um, on Twitter calling for Hall to start against Brighton. So, like, I think people have already got confidence in him. And I'm sure if you mm. you put um, Longstaff or Anderson into that midfield at some stage, if one of the other three starters had to rest, no one would have an issue with that as all. Well. Like, I have. Also read things like people want Longstaff to start and mm. that's fine and, and great. And like I said, Anderson had an absolutely ripping preseason, so he's in good nick. And he's also showed a bit when he's come on as well. Mm. His development over the last 12 months has been huge. And then it, it seems like at the moment there's a never-ending argument about whether um, Gordon should start, should Barnes start, should Almiron start, um, where does Wilson can maybe Isak play on the left and Gordon plays on the right and – um, Wilson through the middle. Like, there's so many different interchangeable options they've got up there, which is a testament to the depth, which is going to be really utilised, especially in the next kind of six weeks once their sort of yeah. two-week games start kicking off. So, like you said, you're not going to get – you might not appreciate it fully now, but you'll definitely start appreciating it um, when the sort of – the games come to a week and good luck to yeah. anyone who has to pick 11s from like a – Predicted eleven from game to game <laughs> once that starts because no one will know what's going on. So and this goes this goes back to what I was saying about Eddie as well and the decisions he's gonna it's gonna be hard for him to know which combination of those good players to pick in which game and this is all part of the learning he's doing because this mm. is the first time in his career he's really had a real like top level squad with the depth and I guess that's what sets elite managers apart from from very good managers is how they manage big squads, how they manage egos, how they keep everybody happy. Because that was such a big part of the the story last season was the the confidence and the camaraderie in the team, even when players out who weren't playing were happy, you know, like Lascelles and Murphy and guys like that. So that's the big thing for him this season. But like you said, we've got so many games. There's going to be at least 44 games, no, at least 46 games this season. And yeah. that's if we get knocked out the Cups at the first stage as well and I think between now and maybe December there's only a run of two Premier League games in a row so there's always a cup game or a Champions League game Yeah. so people worrying about like players being unhappy about not starting they're going to be oh, getting no. plenty, everyone's <laughs> going to be getting plenty of starts yeah. don't need to worry everyone about will, everyone will be happy um, yeah. 
So the sort of the squad ties into our uh, our number six thing, Jack. It's it's the academy, and it, it seems to be the I don't know if it's the rebirth. It's probably just the the normal birth of the academy because it's never really born, and it's given the lack of I guess attention and funding that was directed towards it in the past. It's still astonishing that we've probably produced three really good players out of the academy in Andy Carroll. Sean Longstaff and now Elliot Anderson, considering how under-resourced and mm. seemed like more of a burden than a um, than a help. But now it's, it feels like every second day we're signing some 16 or 17-year-old <laughs> kid and a lot of them are, are youth English internationals. Now I know that might not seem like much and they're only young, so we'll see what happens. But the fact that they have been selected in these squads obviously means they can play a bit. So... Yeah, I'm I'm going to be really positive about the academy and and how it's another thing we might not bear the fruit of it this year or next year, but it's definitely something that we can look towards. And we're, we're let's be realistic, like they're not all going to walk in and, and come into our first team, but they're going to help a lot when it comes to things like FFP. If we can get into position like Manchester City, who are flogging these academy kids who have played mm. maybe one or two cup games for fifteen, twenty million or million pounds. And then throw a little sell-on clause in there as well, so, or a buyback clause. So, yeah, you can have him for twenty million, but hey, shit, if he turns out really good, we're going to bring him back. So you have to, yeah. yeah so we're just setting ourselves up to be like ultra sustainable for many, many, many years down the road as well, which is really, really cool to see. It's low-risk signings, isn't it? Because they're not expensive, these players. We yeah. seem to have signed half of the Ireland under-16 or under-17 team or whatever it is. Yeah. A couple of them they... were playing in Milan, actually. I don't know how yeah. they, they ended up over there. but I think they'll be wearing that green kit for the next three years. <laughs> They've requested <laughs> their new the green away kit for the next three years. But it's got Dan Ashworth all over it. You know, We're, we're oh. probably going to talk about him and some of the other executives a bit later, but... It's got his fingerprints. This is what he's he's done with Brighton, and just look at some of the kids they get coming through. Like you said, like nobody's wanted to buy our academy players that weren't good enough for us in recent years because if they're not good enough for us, they're not going to be worth any money for anyone else. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, and the Andy, the Andy Carroll thing back in the day was a freak where Liverpool got that money for Torres, so they needed to buy someone. So, yeah. like the it's just it's all part of the long the long term project and is another definitely another big reason to feel positive and enthusiastic about what's going on at the club. Yeah. So like we said, even if none of them end up playing in our first team, the fact is that we'll be able to sell it for a nice profit to sort of help mm. with our FFP stuff is something to be really positive about as well. Um all right, we'll kick along to number seven, mate. We'll keep this rollicking along. Yeah. Yeah. So you've it kind of relates to FFP as well, and that's the commercial deals that the the club have been doing. There was the one with Seller first of all, so um, the value of that was what was that twenty five million or something? Was, reportedly, yeah, reportedly yeah. twenty twenty five around there. So for me, it's just nice to have like Fun eighty eight or you know Wonga and all those other yeah. shit ones where no, that don't look good no, on this on the front of the no the sharks shirt. no more sharks on the front yeah so obviously this is a it's a Saudi company but if you watch the documentary the Amazon documentary the kind of it's or the Amazon PR job really which it was the kind of talking yeah. about <laughs> um the talking about the fact that there was thousand companies or something interested in the shirt yeah. sponsorship and they selected this one because it's a, a sports marketing company obviously it's in saudi so they're going to try and go for the saudi market 
Um, but there's the there's the alignment in the whole club, and there's obviously the Adidas deal, which everyone's really excited about. Uh, it's it just fits like it just fits Newcastle and Adidas just go well together. Um, and that's another big commercial deal as well. It's I think forty million over three over three yeah. seasons or something. It's forty million yeah. a season. So it's it's about half of what Man United get, but it's a hell of a lot more than what Castor uh, were paying paying us. So it's all align. It's the alignment of it all. You know, the Saudi um, already manufacture the the Saudi national kits as well, Adidas. So it's all the sort of as well as the money coming in and the, the assistance that's going to give with FFP. Um, it's it's all of the the alignment and the club and the fact that you've got smart people who are in place who are pulling these deals together um, and there's probably going to be a lot more to come there could be something with the stadium training grounds a good one because no one's got an emotional tie to a training ground so they can sponsor that yeah. for whatever they want um, I do so... I've got a very I've got a strong emotional yeah because you visited <laughs> yeah yeah you've got a little story yeah. about that haven't you? But, yeah, yeah we'll say that we'll save that for another another pod but yeah it's a yeah, so the commercial the so. commercial activity I think is uh, is is something to be to be pleased about um and the fact that they're kind of with Adidas anyway they've sort of listened to what most fans kind of want in that regard um and it's just signs of a serious club again a serious club making good business deals and good deals for yeah. you know the for the status and the reputation of the club yeah so even like just circling back to the seller stuff like I'm not sure if, if no one it sort of really knows what they're into. They're like, like Jack said, they're a marketing, a marketing company. So when you see like your Tyson Furies and um, all your sort of big heavyweight boxing fights in Saudi Arabia and your WrestleManias and all them other big events, they're basically the the company who's putting them all on. So they'll have all these big fancy things for the lead ups to them events and during the events, outside the events and everything like that. Um, I think they started talks this week maybe about a bit of a fan engagement zone um, in mm. the strawberry behind the strawberry there, that land that the club brought back. So that's going to turn into a bit of a fan zone for before the games, during the games as well. I think what's – you remember, what's that joint in London that um, with the shipping containers and that where they always seem oh, to be watching it's, it, it's called the Star. games? Oh, the um, box park thing, you mean? Box park, yeah. yeah like they yeah, might yeah, end yeah. up making something like that outside the ground as well where – where everyone can watch the game, and then the, obviously the Adidas stuff doesn't need any um, further going on. It's massive for the club. I've said this when they got announced. I've never seen a, a sports team so enamoured with an apparel <laughs> supplier in my whole life in any in any sport. It's it's frightening, and um, it's always it's always been that way. Like it doesn't matter which like if Newcastle score a goal and they pan to the crowds going nuts, you could see I probably. Oh, 20% still have all Adidas kits on and it hasn't been sponsored for what nearly 20 years or something like that. They haven't been, oh no, I don't think it was 20, maybe 15 years. Mm. They haven't been sponsored by Adidas yet. Everyone still has the kits and still wears the kits to every game. So there's that attachment and it's, it's like getting back with your old girlfriend. I think they yeah. said on the documentary. So <laughs> that that's, that's a massive as well. Um, number eight. Um, it's, it's the running of the club. So, we don't want to get bogged down into what's happened in the past and, and stuff like that. But the fact that the club is actually running like a proper club now, and it was sort of mentioned a bit on that, on the Amazon PR stunt, as you've called it, Jack, is the, the on-field, the off-field stuff is actually trying to catch up to the on-field stuff, which 
which is rarely happens. It's normally the other way around where they're sort of putting all these things in place and then the on-field stuff has to try and catch up. So just the fact that even I've just read a couple of things here is like we've got a we've got a CEO, a CFO, so it's chief executive officer, chief financial officer, and a director of football, and they're actually three separate people, which is absolutely <laughs> un- revolutionary, unheard of, unheard of around these parts. So it's it, like, <laughs> and there's so many other people underneath them now who report to them, and um, I don't know how many people are in the scouting department at the moment because that every it was a bloody every day there for about two weeks. It was someone's been added into the scouting, and he's going to go over here and. She'll go over there, and he's looking after like South America. It was it was bonkers, but instead of probably they're watching YouTube clips of players and saying, "Oh yeah, he looks all right. How much is he?" and or you get the um the joking ear looking at a player that actually plays for the club he was played for anyway. So um the the fact that the club is getting run now, and I think I don't know if it was on a podcast or a documentary with. Craig Silverstein, he was referring to the Arsenal, his time at Arsenal and their um, commercial department was upwards of around 200. And then yeah. um, I think we had about five at, at that yeah. stage. I think I think we're up to about, I think 40 now. I think he mentioned, like I said, I can't remember if that was on a podcast or a... Um, it was on the documentary, the, I think. On yeah. the documentary, yeah. So, like, all this stuff is just, it's not, like, big. It's just what's required. Like, it, it seems like yeah. it's just the basic sort of fundamentals of how to properly run a football club off the field. Yeah, and it's it's getting the right people into those positions as well. Like yeah, anybody, yeah, that's all like, so look at, massive. Look at Man United, like we talk about them a bit, but they've got they haven't got the right people into these high power positions and then that just seeps into the whole club. Like there was a process behind getting Darren Eels and Peter Silverstone and um particularly and Dan Ashworth Dan, Dan Ashworth particularly <laughs> who they cherry picked him and they waited for him because uh, they knew he was he was the guy we needed based on his previous work. And you can just see he when he started, he explained that he's kind of in the middle of the spider web and everyone else is around him, yeah. all the different departments and all the spokes, all the, all spokes, the spokes, all the spokes. And that's exactly what you can see is happening uh, with with what's going on. So we said at the time, I think you know he could be the the most important sign in that Newcastle make, and you can't you can't overestimate the importance of getting good people into into these key positions and and the, i'll use that word again the alignment of everybody there's a, there's a clear identity of where the club wants to go everyone's buying into the same vision um and that's that's kind of obvious with with what goes on and that doesn't change because we've lost three games to good teams no, no we're talking about a whole a structure and a club and everything like that so um we'll kick along to number nine mate we've got uh, the infrastructure yeah, so it kind of uh, ties in with that. We're talking sort of big, bigger picture stuff now, but that's that's good because that's the that's what it's all about. The infrastructure. So the I was really struck in the documentary and the the PR exercise um, when they said they were talking about how the the fact they put ten million into the training ground, which which needed it to be honest, because it looked like a leisure center. Yeah, um, oh, that was generous. So it looks it looks. <laughs> It looks good now, you know. They've got the they've got the oh. the facilities for the players, and the canteen looks nice. Yeah. And oh, yeah, even just even Sandra's girlfriend up. was impressed. Yeah, I was going to say, Mrs. <laughs> Ten- Mrs. Tenali loved yeah. it. She could believe it when she walked in. Yeah. So there's there's the infrastructure like that. That just shows as much as anything that 
they're just dropping 10 million on something that's going to be bulldozed in a couple of years. You know, that <laughs> it's chicken feed to our our owners. So they don't they don't care about that. It's all about trying to give the right conditions for success right now. And um, even though the, they are going to be moving somewhere else. And that's another exciting thing, the 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 training ground, like the way the Saudis operate, they, they don't do things by halves. If they want something, they've got the money, they're just going to go and do it. So money's money's going to be no object. So we're probably going to have the best training ground in the world, um, which is going to attract players. The St. James's Park as well, there's going to be stuff going on with the stadium. The the club issued a share for 60 million or something today. Yeah, so I don't I know if that, that was me. Yeah, I bought Yeah, I don't know if that could be related to yeah, um, something I forgot to do tell with you I bought that last night. You bought it, yeah. Yeah, like, sorry, you know, yeah. I forgot to mention that. <laughs> <laughs> you can build a training ground, yeah. Yeah, good. yeah. And um, not anymore. I've just lost 60 million. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like all of that, like the it's the again, it's the big vision feature, like the, the big picture stuff. Like the the club is is trying to catch up with uh, with the on field success, which did, which happened far quicker than anybody anticipated it to. Um. So and but it will get there. It will get there in time. And I've said this quite a few times, but like Peter Silverstone said on a podcast, the club will be in a better position at the end of this season, regardless of where we finish in the league, as long as we don't get relegated, obviously, than what we are this time this season, you know? Mm. So so we could be out of the Champions League, but we're still going to be in a better position in the in the big picture uh, than where we are right now, where it's all a bit sort of soon. It's all a bit sort of soon and unexpected that the position we're in, which, which raises expectations, which is partly what's caused people to be a bit disappointed lately. But yeah, the, yeah. the infrastructure, the training ground, the stadium, all of this is to come and that's exciting. Yeah, and which, which kind of rolls into our last point, mate. So... It's it's the long term. Um, I guess it's a long term plans and visions that that the ownership have of the club. So let's not get bogged down in the three weeks of what some might say a bad results and, and and stuff like that. Actually, take the blinkers off and, and have a look into the future. Like these blokes have got money to absolute burn. Like and they can spend it. Whatever we do with the club is not really bound by FFP. The only thing that's bound by FFP is the actual player movements and stuff like that. So the, the documentary, like, they've clearly outlined their plans to be number one. So they, they don't, they're not – the minimum expectation is sort of where they are now, and let's just keep building and building and building and building like that. And the resources these guys have are, are endless. Like So with, like you said, the training ground, which is probably – they would have already started working where they want to build it and and stuff like that and organising that part of it. Like I, I shudder to see what this thing is going to. Like you said, this could be it. Just this could be just a whole golden bloody <laughs> centaur like palace. It, it, yeah, like it could be frightening. Like it'll be like I agree. It's probably going to be the when they build it, it'll be the best in the world because yeah. that's that's how these guys operate. Like it is. And I think it got mentioned kind of when the takeover first happened, like them and sort of Dubai, Abu Dhabi, um, all yeah. them sort of oil states, if you want to call it them. It's just a big pissing contest between oh, yeah. so to see who, like you so like they'll see the Man City stuff and and oh, I've got no idea what PSG's sort of facilities are, but they'll definitely see the Man City stuff and go right. Let's make it better than this. And I've I've seen some of their stuff. It's state of the art. <laughs> Plus, and these guys will be 
whatever that is, they'll make that look like absolute. That'll I'll make the Med City one look like our old facility by the time they've built this new one. Like it's it's absolutely unreal what it's going to be. These, and then, these guys bought golf. They bought golf, yeah. which is <laughs> yeah. fucking outrageous. <laughs> Like, what about the yeah. meeting? What could we spend all this money on if, <laughs> if it's sold? You see, our chairman, golf. let's just buy golf. Like golf. They're, they're in the process of buying football as well with their, their pro league. So, like, yeah. it's with with other, like, fair enough. You can't really, you know, they're doing it for their own reasons. Let's not have any illusions about that. They don't, they didn't grow up watching Alan Shearer and all that. Shit. You know, they, they are doing this because uh, they're trying to diversify their economy. They're trying to get into more um, pro-social entertainment, so people yeah. stay in their own country. And that's I've listened to quite and read yeah. quite a lot about this. So, and and yes, they're doing it because they, they want to do some sports washing as well. Yeah, so let's wanna... not be under any illusions that no. that's what it, that's what this is about. But they've got endless resources, and when they do something, they do it well. And and they they've sat there and they've said from the beginning, we want to be number one, we want to be successful. Nothing that they've ever done in the, the history of that country uh, suggests that when they decide that and when they start putting money into something, that that doesn't happen, you know? So they've they've bought golf. So I think making a football club successful is probably going to be pretty easy compared to buying out the PGA. Yeah. <laughs> Did you, I really like it if they brought tennis. If they, they bought tennis? Just ran yeah. it into the ground so we didn't have to watch tennis anymore. <laughs> Don't tell Jimmy that. Jimmy would be Yeah, upset. I know. Yeah, I know. They could buy his um. What are, what's he play? The bazooka. The bazooka. Or it is. Yeah. <laughs> so that'll make. Oh, maybe, probably we won't get in a Saudi buying bazookas. It's probably not the right. <laughs> probably not the right angle. The um, UK government buying bazookas. Yeah, yeah. We'll let them. Yeah, we'll let them do it instead. That's, that's a good point. Um, but yeah, that that'll that's ten. So that there you go, everyone. There's if you're on your your morning commute or you're at home watching TV and you've come across this fantastic podcast or you're on your morning run, you're taking your kids for a walk or your dog for a walk, whatever you're doing, hopefully these 10 things have sort of put a, a pep in your step and you've exhaled a little bit and the, the dark clouds have broken up and you can see a little bit of maybe just a little ray of sunshine just squirting through on you and enriching you a little bit. So hopefully Jack and I tonight have just brought a little bit of positivity to the whole situation and it's easy to get bogged down in the semantics and uh, three losses, but there's plenty of things to be good about. You've just got to choose which uh, which way you want to be, Jack. Absolutely. And I'm a, I'm always, after, you know, we've, we've avoided his name so far, but after the previous owner, and people hate it when you say this because it's different now. It's a different uh, regime and, you know, we're judged by different standards. But like you say about the AFL, my cup's full still, you know, I oh, think it will be for a long full. time. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's just a shame we couldn't get um, Lee on here because we know he's the the most positive guy in the group. So, unfortunately, he wasn't available for tonight. But um, that'll do, Jack. I hope hope that uh, we've put a maybe, if not a smile, at least a smirk on people's faces. Just, to, just <laughs> it's not that bad, guys. Let's let's be happy with what we've got and look at look at everything that's good in our lives. Absolutely. All right, so we'll be back uh, next week, I think, with a preview for the Brentford game as well. Um, if your international team is playing over the weekend, hopefully they have a positive result for you and maybe you can get a win back in, in that capacity. Or if uh, 
Another sporting team you follow is playing over the weekend. Hopefully you can see a win there and that'll make you feel better as well, mate. So uh, good luck to the Lions too, Jack, tomorrow night. Yeah, big one. Um, yeah, big one against the Power. I'll be I'll be on the Lions. Port can go and get rooted. So, um, yeah, <laughs> that'll do. Um, thanks, everyone, for watching. We, we didn't mention at the start, but, um, yeah, we'd love you to comment. If we've missed some positive stuff that you want to mention as well, chuck it in the comments and uh, – We'll be getting around that for sure. So thanks very much, Jack, and uh, we'll catch you next time, mate. Cheers. Have a good one.